You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Hey, Midtown family. My name is Jay Hendricks, and I'm one of the pastors at our downtown church. We're excited to celebrate with you for our citywide Celebration Sunday coming up on November 18th with our family of churches. Our hope with having a family of churches is to get to see little Jesus-centered communities all over our city spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know it's not going to be a normal Sunday for most of you and a little bit more of a drive for some, but we're excited to see our family of churches gather together in one place at one time to worship Jesus at our downtown church building. We'll have one 10 a.m. gathering with food and fun right afterwards, and we'll also have a 5 p.m. worship and prayer night. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of food, a lot of games, so bring the kids, invite your neighbors, and we're going to have a good time. We're excited to celebrate and worship Jesus together. At the, at the end of a three-part little mini-series that we're doing in our study on the book of 1 Corinthians, of where we've been looking at the topics of sex, marriage, and singleness. Again, sex, marriage, and singleness. We're finishing that up today. We're going to be talking specifically about marriage and singleness and what those two are and what Paul has to say specifically about those. Also, I do want to give you a, a heads up. Also, Paul deals with the topic of divorce in this uh, passage as well. Uh, it's my uh, understanding and belief that these are oftentimes weighty topics for us. I just want to pray for uh, our time. I know Courtney already prayed. I just want to pray uh, in light of what we will be discussing together, and then we'll get it started in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, Father, uh, would you open our hearts, prepare us for your word this morning. Uh, Father, give us comfort. I know that this, uh, this topic and some of the things that we'll talk about today are difficult to think through, difficult to process. A lot of it is very complicated. Father, would you prevent us from believing any lies that the enemy would have us to believe uh, this morning and really every day? I just pray for your, uh, your active presence in our time. Father, in ways that we need to repent, would you help us uh, to repent in ways that we just need to see things differently and, and allow our perspective to align with your perspective? Would you make that happen, Father, in our hearts and in our minds as well. Father, if we need your comfort today as we deal through, as we walk through some, some difficult topics for some of us, would you grant us comfort and peace beyond what we're able to comprehend? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Again, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 is where we'll be, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So remember the context of where Paul is writing this letter. He's writing to the church in Corinth. So this is a, will be a very diverse ethnically, uh, a diverse city. Ethnically, it would also be diverse uh, from a religious standpoint, from a background standpoint. So you got people coming from all different places and all different understandings of what marriage is really all about. And so uh, Paul went, preached the gospel. This church in Corinth got started. And so now they're wrestling with how does this gospel that we believe, how does Jesus, the essence of who he is and what he did for us, affect the way that we view mar marriage, affect the way that we view singleness? So Paul is going to speak into that. One of the things that we'll need to know first is there were a few different types of marriage in the Roman Empire at this time. Uh, sometimes there, were, there was marriage between a, a master and a slave. So this would just be the master could just declare that, you, that I am married to you now. Uh, and that basically was all the legal uh, proceedings that they would need. There was also what they called a common law, which was if you lived together with someone for a year, then you were kind of commonly seen as married. You could reap some of the benefits of a, of a married couple. There's a thing that uh, historians today call marriage for sale. 
which is basically the, the man would pay uh, the father for his daughter's hand in marriage. This was uh, at times called a dowry, if I'm saying that right. And also for the elite folks, they had this whole ceremony thing where they exchanged rings and vows, and there was a big party, and they invited family and friends to come and attend and all that. There's wreath, there's cakes. Obviously, this is where we get a lot of our traditions around marriage from as well. Divorce at this time was very rampant throughout, across, all the, across the board on all the different types of marriages that were there. Oftentimes, you could, you could just declare a divorce, and it didn't really take much effort or much time or anything. You basically could almost write a note and say, all right, I want a divorce or we want a divorce, and it will be legally recognized. The Corinthians are, uh, as they've been doing throughout this letter, they were confused on some things. There are some things that they specifically reach out to Paul and ask him about. There are some things that he hears that they are not seeing correctly. If you were here with us uh, last week and the week before, they did ask about the topic of sex and marriage. If you haven't uh, been able to listen to the first two uh, sermons in this little mini-series that we're doing, I, I would hope that you would take the time to do that. I believe it would uh, be helpful for you, even in understanding some of what we'll talk about today in, um, in the sermon that we'll be getting into. We really want to make two main points that Paul is making in chapter 7. I won't be able to get to everything. It's a pretty long chapter. There's two main points that I do want to get to that, I, that will govern our time together today. The first point is that marriage and singleness are both gifts is that marriage and singleness are both gifts. Let's start in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gifts from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now, at this time in Paul's life, Paul is single. So he's actually saying he wishes that more or that all were single the way that he is. He's saying this is not a command. He's just saying this is his preference. Continue verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul is comparing and talking about the two gifts of marriage and singleness. So he says it is better to go ahead and get married than, than to burn with this, with this passion. This might be sexual passion. This might be a passion for, for marriage. He's saying that if, if that is where you are, then obviously it is okay to pursue marriage, even though he personally said that he prefers singleness. Now, many people interpret uh, that last part of that verse to mean uh, that if me and my uh, significant other are having trouble with sexual purity, then that means we need to go ahead and just get married. We're not going to repent. We're just going to get married. Is what, we're, is what we're going to do. That's how many people interpret it. Paul is not dealing with, he's not talking specifically to any, any couples who are struggling with anything and telling them whether they should get married later or married sooner. He's talking about what, what path are you, which gift are you pursuing and, and trying to embrace in your life in general. So he's saying in general direction for your life, if you are burning with passion, as he says, then it is, it is fine, it is okay, it is good to pursue marriage. As he calls both of these gifts, marriage and singleness. One of the more complicated things, I believe, for the Christian or anyone who believes in, in a God uh, that is good is wrestling with the fact that there are multiple good gifts that God can give us, and we don't always get to choose which one that is, right? That there are multiple good gifts that we could have, and sometimes God with, withholds some of them from us, and he gives others to us. This is a complicated thing to wrestle through. This is a, a complicated thing to deal with. There are a lot of questions that often come up in our minds, sometimes even in our hearts, as we try to figure out, what, what is this? How do I look at this? The fact that marriage and singleness are both good gifts means at least a couple things for us. 
One is that both are worthy of, of, being, of having joy and rejoicing in. That they're both gifts from God, they're both blessings from God, then it means that both are worthy of being enjoyed, that God can give us a full and thriving life regardless of which gift he gives us. And if both are good gifts and good blessings from God, I believe it also means that it is reasonable and fine and normal to experience some amount of grief for not having the gift that you prefer. If each gift is actually a good and glorious gift from God, then it actually makes sense that we would have some type of, of sadness, even a deep sadness, even to the point of tears, even to the point of, of grieving, I would say, to not have one of the gifts that God doesn't seem to be giving you that you desire. I believe that is a fine and normal thing. I would say that's the only thing that makes sense. I want to talk to uh, married people in the room for a second. Part of the reason I brought that up is because something I've noticed in the Christian, in Christian culture, uh, so to speak, and even I think I've seen it in our church as well, is that when a single person expresses some amount of, of, of grief, some amount of sadness about being single and about not having uh, this other gift from God that they desire, the married Christian response is often, wait, whoa, whoa, but you just enjoy all the freedom you have when you're single. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it right on the head, I think, right now. The response is, well, well, listen, this is a good thing that you have. You shouldn't be sad about this. Oh, don't be sad. Marriage isn't always talked up to be. Now, do we all need to be reminded that we all have blessings in our life that we need to be grateful for? Yes. Do we all need to be reminded that we all need to grow in finding contentment in Christ? Yes, that is absolutely the case. It's absolutely true. And... It's okay to just be sad sometimes. If God's gifts are actually as good as he says that they are, that they are blessings from him, then sometimes being a listening ear to someone who's lamenting, who's grieving, who's expressing sadness is fine and okay and good and loving to do. Sometimes we try to rush when someone's experiencing some type of deep sorrow. We try to rush to try to help them feel better. Check out what Proverbs 25 verse 20 says. Whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. I'll say it, read it one more time. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Here's what he's pointing out. That if, you're, if your initial response to someone whose heart is heavy, to someone who, who is grieving, is to try to sing a song to cheer them up, he, he's saying it's actually like taking off someone's jacket when they're already standing in the cold. Right, so they're already in the cold, so they're already suffering. So this person already has sadness and sorrow. And then to try to sing a happy song to them or try to get them to, to cheer up too, too quickly, it's like they're standing out in the cold and you just took their jacket off. And you're actually making it worse by not letting the sadness, the sorrow, and the grief run its course. Married people were guilty of this very often. So sometimes we, we're quick to try to call our single brothers and sisters in Christ to, 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 to be more happy about where they are or, or to look more at, at the blessings instead of letting the sadness run its course. And sometimes, instead, we rebuke for the sadness that we see. Sometimes when people are lamenting singleness, we're quick to try to tell them, hey, hey, no, 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 you're caring way too much about this. You need to be more content with where you are. And if you're more content with where you were, then you wouldn't be so sad. 
That's a, such a flawed reduction of the human soul, right? That we can't simultaneously rejoice in something and grieve at the same time. Humans are, are emotionally complex individuals or, 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 or creatures, I should say. We are able to both rejoice and grieve. So oftentimes our response as soon as someone expresses sadness to us, you need to be content in the Lord and stop worrying about this so much. Yeah, but you should just be way more content in your singleness. Now, does every person need to grow in being content in Jesus? Yes, absolutely, without a question. Do we all need to be challenged at times to pursue contentment in him more and more? Yes, without question, married or single. And again, it's good to give space to just lament and be sad as well. For example, there was a married couple who was having trouble conceiving, and they were desiring to have the gift of a child. I believe we wouldn't, if they're expressing any type of sadness, be quick to be like, hey, but you should be more content with all the blessings that you do have. I think we see that that can be a, a, a harsh thing to do or a harsh initial response to have. If it were I and, and a married couple was sitting with me and was expressing that, I want to just be there. I want to just be there for them. I hate that. I hate that you are experiencing this sadness. I believe our single brothers and sisters oftentimes are grieving, not being able to enjoy many of the blessings of marriage, like certain forms of physical touch, like sex, also things like having children, having a lifelong partner. I was actually talking with the, uh, one of the women who was in our teaching team as we were kind of putting this sermon together, and she was saying for her as a single woman, one of the things that she started to worry about is, okay, as she gets older, as her mom's health is declining, if she doesn't get married, if she doesn't have any kids, who's going to take care of her after she gets older? Like, who will be kind of bound to doing that? And she was saying that that causes a bit of, at least a little bit of stress for her. Something I, as a married person, often don't even think about. It's not something that is consistently on my radar. Now, at the same time, I've noticed some of this in newlyweds as well, this, this grieving not having the gift that you or we previously have had. I know of married people that have grieved the loss of, uh, because of marriage, legitimate plutonic relationships with members of, uh, or, or I should say legitimate plutonic friendships uh, with members of the other sex that now, after becoming married, they no longer have in the same way. I've seen real sadness because of this. I've seen married people grieve the loss of the amount of time that they've had before to spend with other friends that they've had. I've seen married people grieving the loss of their ability to control what they do with their time. I don't know about y'all. I, like I, I feel like from 7 a.m. to about 8 o'clock, 8.30, I have no say-so in my time ever since I have kids. Like, I got no control over any of it. It's all just given away. All given away, which is difficult, which is challenging. That said, understanding that both marriage and singleness are gifts will lead us to rejoice in and, and enjoy whichever of these two God has currently given us. So understanding that they're both gifts will lead us in, at sometimes in some places to grieve and be sad about the good gifts that we don't have. And if we truly believe that they're gifts, it also causes us to rejoice and find joy in and enjoy what we do have. If they both are actually gifts, we're actually believing God at his word when he shows us that both of these are gifts from him. So if you aren't able to rejoice in and enjoy your singleness and or your marriage, you are failing to see that it is actually a gift from God. 
If you're not able to find some type of joy in the fact that this is the gift that you currently have, then you actually don't believe God when he says it's a gift. If in your grief you can't believe that you can thrive in Christ as a person, even though you don't have the gift that you currently prefer to have, if you don't believe that you can actually thrive in Christ in where you are, you're actually in sin as a believer. You actually don't trust God as his word. You actually don't believe that he is all that you need. You're failing to see that it's a blessing. If that's where you are, I would say you need to pray, God, open my eyes. God, help me to see the blessings that I do have right now. Help me to be content with what you have given me right now. Maybe also having conversation and even maybe just being around oftentimes people who have a different gift from you might open your eyes to some of the challenges that go both ways. I'll give an example. I was talking to a brother one time. Uh, he was saying the benefit of him hanging out with the guys that were in his life group. At the time, he was a single man. And he said, man, I, being around the, the single guys in my life, I mean, the, the married guys in my life group has helped me understand what marriage is really all about. He said, previously, I was just so fixated on sex that, I, that that kind of was the majority of what I understood marriage to really be about. But now I have a more realistic expectation and understanding of what it actually is. And this is a very difficult thing to do. It is very easy to take for granted the blessing that we do have. It is very easy. I'm try to give you an example. 2008, for a month, I was in Ghana in West Africa. Don't know if you've ever been anywhere that didn't have clean water. Don't know if you've ever been anywhere that didn't have hot water. I had, I had never, not one time in my life, been grateful for running hot water until I didn't have it. I, I was never, I'm talking about not one time had I ever said, God, thank you for this water that is clean and that is also hot that I can use. We, every day we were in Ghana, all the water was cold, cold showers, right? Like, like not, not, I'm not saying lukewarm. I'm talking like you turned on the cold every day. It, it, it was, I, I learned so many things that I took for granted because I was so familiar with it while I was there. First time I got back to the States, I turned on the hot water, burned my hand, didn't care. <laughs> didn't even care. Grateful. Grateful. I grew up in a home where my parents very, very frequently told me that they were, that told me and all my brothers really, how proud of us uh, they were. Whenever we did a good job, they made a big deal out of it. If we did things like made the honor roll or even something like perfect attendance, which is like, that one took, took us there. I don't know why we get a reward for perfect attendance. Y'all made us go. and like we had a choice. <laughs> Grew up in a home where we were celebrated, appreciated, valued. I heard over and over and over that my parents were, were proud of us. And I realized recently that I take that for granted. Saw a woman on Twitter, she posted something about her father uh, driving up to, to where she was, rolling down his window and just saying, I'm proud of you. And how it just made her day. How it just made her day. I've been hearing that so much that I begin to take for granted such a huge blessing that I have in my life. I think it stands to reason that we do that with the gifts that God has given us also. That in our grief, maybe we, we have a tendency to take for granted the blessings that we do currently have, the blessings that come with the gift that we currently have. I believe it's important that we fight to be grateful, that, that we pursue gratitude to the Lord, that we pursue a greater understanding of the blessings that we do have. 
Also in my life, I've always, I don't think there's ever been a point in my life where I haven't had friends that I knew I could depend on to be there for me if I ever needed it. And I don't realize that I'm even taking that for granted until I get around someone who hasn't had that. And then I see them find friends. Even I've seen that happen here in our church and see them find friends that are there for them, that are consistent, that are present and that are loving. And just how much, it, how much of a big deal it is for them. And when I see that, I'm like, man, I've had this for so long and I just take it for granted because I'm so familiar with it. I've just been around it for so long that I don't even see it as a blessing anymore. Do you know how many people would kill to have what I have? And I don't say, I don't, I don't express any type of gratitude to God for it. Familiarity, if we're not careful, can lead us to not being appreciative, not, not celebrating, not taking joy in the blessing that we do have. When I was in Ghana, we had no central AC. We in West Africa. No central AC. I don't know if I'd ever thanked God for air conditioning before. We found one mall up there that had air conditioning. I just want to stay there the whole day. I was like, no, we got, we got food over here. I can just sleep here at night. Grateful for things that I've always had that I didn't know I didn't have, that I didn't know I should be grateful for until I was without it. It's okay to grieve what God has not given you at this point in life but we also must fight for gratitude and fight to rejoice in where we are and what God has given us. Otherwise, we'll just be given to misery. Otherwise, we're just given to misery, blind to the blessings that we do have, blind to the gift that we do have. If we aren't able to find joy in what we do have, we'll just wallow in our sadness, in our sorrow. We must remember that our God is good. He gives us good gifts, even when the gift he gives us is not the gift that we prefer. And I'm not talking about just single people. I'm talking to married people who, are, who in, in, in your minds, you, you, you drift off into a land of, man, what would it be like if I was still single? Wouldn't it be easier if I was still single? Didn't I have this when I was single? Didn't I have that when I was single? Wasn't I able to do this when I was single? Quick to forget that when we were single, we were saying, man, when I get married... It'd be so much better if we're going to be brutal, brutally honest with ourselves. It's not just that we often don't see whatever gift we have as a gift. It's not, it's not just that we don't see it as a gift. It's not just that we don't see it as a blessing. Sometimes we actually see it as a curse. Sometimes we despise what God has given us with where we are. We see it as a curse. We see it as if God is withholding the good thing, and what we have is actually the bad thing. People often see singleness as a curse. This is why people make horrible, and I haven't seen it, I don't, I don't think I've seen it happen in this church, none that I can recall at least. This is why oftentimes you'll see people get married prematurely or to people that they have no business marrying in the first place, even though maybe a, a counselor or friends or everyone around them is saying, do not do this. This will go bad for you, and people continue to do it because they see singleness as a curse. Because they don't see it as a, it's not just that they don't see it as a blessing, they see it as the opposite. They see it as if, if, as if God is harming them, as if life itself is bad this way, with this particular gift. I have heard of this in, in other churches, where couples come in for premarital counseling, and the pastor's like, uh, this is not a good idea for you all. And they say, no, we, we, we know what we're doing. It's like, well, okay, you gave me the counsel, I'm just giving you what you came for. And they get married, and I was talking to one pastor, and he said, 
every time we as a church have done that. Every time. The people have come back to us later and says, this is a mess. Our marriage is falling apart. Can you help us? And as a church, they're like, yeah, of course. Let's do it. We're going to do marital counseling. We were doing premarital. Now we're just doing marital. We'll just take the three letters off the front of it. We'll just keep it rolling. But there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of unnecessary pain and hurt because singleness was seen as a curse. And thus there, was this, there was this rush. There was this haste to, to, to get out of it so I can finally get the blessing that I've always been wanting. Paul talks about also uh, what we, he brings up, what I would say uh, oftentimes we do when we see marriage as a curse. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So he's saying this is something actually Jesus actually talked about or spoke on. Verse 10 again. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not be separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. People oftentimes see marriage as a curse. This is one of the reasons. There are many reasons. This is one of the reasons that I believe divorce rates are as high as they are. If you see marriage as a curse, then of course the, 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 the course of action then is to end your marriage. This has been a very controversial thing for Paul to say. Right? This is not just a diverse place. This is a, this is a polytheistic place. This is where people worshiped all different types of gods and didn't like for anybody to say, hey, this one God sits over all the others and says, this is how you should live. Many of this time we get divorced very quickly, very easily. Paul speaks to the Christians in the culture and says, this is not what a Christian marriage is intended to be. That divorce is not God's design for marriage. That said, there are exceptions that the Bible gives. I'm not going to read it today, but if you want to read it on your own, in verse 15, Paul gives one exception. It says, if you have an unbelieving spouse and they leave you, you are free. You're no longer bound to them. Jesus also, in the Gospels, I believe in Matthew and Luke, indicates that it's okay to, to get a divorce if there is adultery because of marital unfaithfulness. So there are exceptions, but just know that those are exceptions to the rule. Right? That's what exceptions are. They're not the primary course that God ever designed for it to take. Those are exceptions. What Paul does not say is if you decide that marriage is not what you originally thought it would be, that it is okay to get a divorce in a Christian marriage. That is not what Paul says. Oftentimes it comes from not perceiving marriage as the gift of what it is and thus seeing it as a curse. The first point was that marriage and singleness are both gifts. Gifts, excuse me. The second is that marriage and singleness are both callings. Marriage and singleness are both callings. What I'm not talking about is, I'm not, what I'm not only talking about is whether or not I'm called to be single all my life. That's not all. What I'm talking about is where you are right now, you are called to be there. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So as he's going back and forth talking about marriage and singleness, he says, live the life that the Lord has assigned to you. So he's making it very clear that, this is, that, that where you are in life right now is not something that you just happen to stumble into, but rather God is sovereignly at work and that it is an assignment for you, married or single. 
He says, and to which God has called him. So when I say calling, I'm not necessarily just talking about what we're, our lifelong purpose that's supposed to be the same today as it, as it will be next year or the next 10 years. But he's saying right now, where you are, you are called to be there. It is a calling. Paul refers to marriage and singleness as gifts. That word gifts that he used there, he's not just talking about a gift like a, like a Christmas present that you, can, that you can get and use however you want to. It's the same word that he used for spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 14. That is a gift that's given with a purpose, to be used for his purposes. It's a gift, like a spiritual gift. One that is assigned to us, one that we are called to. I want us to zoom out for a second because this applies to way more than just marriage. All right, so God is about making disciples of all nations. He's about anywhere that sin exists. He wants to fight against it. He wants to defeat it. He wants to see his kingdom grow in the earth. He wants to see those that don't know him come to know him. He wants to see his children encouraged and grow in the faith. He wants to see the lies that Satan feeds us to be exposed and destroyed. He wants to see the downtrodden be lifted up. He wants to see those who have never been loved to find love for the first time in his people and in him. He wants to see injustices corrected. He wants to see the weak be given strength. God is on a mission in this earth, and if you are in Christ, he wants to see you joining him in his mission, in what he is about, and marriage and singleness are assignments that we use. They are gifts that we leverage for God's purposes. I believe wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, that if you are single right now, God has you exactly where he wants you to be, to accomplish exactly what he wants you to accomplish. And I wholeheartedly believe that, it is, that there are things that he wants you to accomplish that you would not be able to accomplish in the same way had you had the other gift right now. That he has assigned to you the gift that you have, that it is also a calling that he expects you to leverage for his purposes. He wants to see you joining him in his mission to bring all this to pass, everything that he is about. So when he saves us as believers, he doesn't just save us out of the kingdom of darkness. He saves us into his kingdom. He doesn't just save us out of a life of pursuing our own glory, but he, he saves us into a life of pursuing and living for his glory. He doesn't, save, he doesn't just save us out of pursuing vanity. He also saves us to his mission and his purposes. He saves us from being his enemy to being his ambassadors for his kingdom, and he gives us different gifts to leverage and use for those purposes. He's on a mission to make the earth more and more like heaven every day. Until he comes back and fully brings heaven to earth on the last day, and the moment that you place faith in him, hear me on this, the moment that you place faith in him, you signed up to use everything in your life, to use every moment in your life for his glory, to use every gift in your life, to use everything that he has stewarded to us, including our marriage and our singleness. No matter what circumstances we are in, we are on assignment. We are his ambassadors. That means there's purpose in your positioning in your life. There's purpose in your singleness. There's purpose in your marriage. If you are single, I believe it then is appropriate to look for ways. How can, God, how can I use my, my singleness in a unique way for your glory? If you're married, God, God how can me and my spouse, how can we use this marriage to, to show off who you are? What, what can we do? How can we be about this? 
It's okay to be sad about not having the gift that we want. That is okay. You can cry about it. You can, you can get around others. You guys can cry together. You can grieve that. That is okay. But, if, but if, if that grief, if that sadness begins to choke out any belief that you have in the fact that God has given you purpose where you are, then your grief has taken over and controlled you. And you've allowed the sorrow of not having the, the other gift to, to choke out what God is calling you to do and what he wants to do in and through you. I was talking to a sister in our church. She explained to me, she noticed that she was kind of just waiting to get married to be able to fully live out what God had called her to do. Right, that, that it was almost like I'm, I was kind of in this, this waiting period, so I wasn't fully serving because I felt like I wasn't exactly in the status or the position that I needed to be. Kind of like singleness was this, this waiting or this holding period. And she could really start living in her calling after she got married. In baseball, when, when your teams turn to bat, you have one person uh, at the plate, right? They're, they're taking pitches, they're swinging, they're trying to score. And you have someone else that's in the batter's box. They're just taking practice swings. They're just warming up. They're just getting ready for the game. They're not in the game yet, but they're just swinging and, and taking practice swings. And what she basically was expressing was that I saw singleness as the, as the batter's box. Right? This is, this is what you do before you get in the game. So right now, I'm not really taking real swings. What I'm doing right now doesn't matter. It doesn't count in the same way. It's not, it's not fully what God is calling me to do. I'm just kind of getting ready. I'm just kind of in preparation. That's not seeing purpose in the position that God has called you to. Whether you're single or married, you're never in the batter's box. You're never in the batter's box. What you do has purpose. What you do matters. How you, how you use your time, it matters. Your assignment, your calling, whether it's currently single, currently, matter, currently married, excuse me, it matters. Married people, do you feel like you used to be able to do ministry when you were single, but now you kind of got to sit on the sidelines because you got other things to do? Thank you. It was like, man, when I, when, when I was single, I was able to do this. I was able to just, anytime somebody said something, I could just, boom, drop what I was doing and go run and do whatever it was that I was doing. Married people can see the life they have now and just be like, well, right now I'm just supposed to, I get home, maybe I change some diapers, I'm trying to watch a little bit of Netflix before I go to sleep because I'm so exhausted. And it's like, wait, marriage isn't the baddest box either. God intends to use all of his people, regardless of position, regardless of place in life, for his purposes. For married people, that can look like inviting others into what you're doing, whether that's dinner. I know some single people would love to be invited to dinner. Thank you. It could look like counseling younger couples. It can just look like being faithful and disciplining and discipling your children and serving and doing what God has called you to do in the place he has you. Single people, that could be like being quick to drop what it is you're doing. When, when there is a need, maybe in the church family, of others that you know of being, being, being able to say, hey, I know if I'm married, I'm not going to be able to do this in the same way. I'm not going to be able to do this as much. I'm going to take advantage of the gift that I have and use it for the benefit of God's kingdom, for God's glory. They might be taking on some time-consuming responsibilities within our church. I don't know if you guys know this. If not for the labor, and I'm talking about the real sacrifice of a line of the single people in our church, we wouldn't even be able to have this gathering here. We have people here at 7 in the morning on Sundays, 7.30 in the morning on Sundays. We have some married people who show up as well, but for the majority of it, it's single people who say, I'm going to use this time in my life. I'm going to leverage it for the good of the kingdom of God. 
I'm going to get up early on one of the few days in the week that I actually don't have to get up early. I'm going to get up earlier than I would if I was going to work and come here and set up so that we can hold out the gospel for, for our church family and for people in our city, leveraging the gift that they have for the purposes of God. If you're struggling with your gift, with your assignment, you're struggling, struggling with, with seeing purpose in your marriage, struggling with seeing purpose in your singleness. I want to encourage us with just a few scriptures that I found in the Old Testament that I'll run through pretty quickly. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Solomon writes, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That where we are is the design of the Lord. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the purpose of the Lord will prevail. That God's purposes will be carried out, even if they are different from what our plans are and where we saw ourselves being and what we wanted to do and what we thought we should be doing and where we thought we should be right now. The purpose of the Lord will prevail. prevail. Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not his own. No one who walks directs his own steps saying that none of us are actually in control of the way that our life goes. But God, our loving Father, He is in control. I want to encourage you that the one who is in control is the one who left the paradise of heaven, experienced suffering in this life when he never had to, took our sins upon himself and was crucified by the very people that he created to make us right with him so that we can go and be with him in paradise forever. That's the one who's in control. That's the one who's in control. The one who died and atoned for our sins and then was raised up from the grave with all power in his hands. That's the one who's in control. Had a conversation with a friend this past week. And uh, I had actually done something, uh, expressed some gratitude for, towards one of his friends. And he was trying to figure out what that friend did that made me want to express that the way that I did. And I was like, I'm not going to tell you. Did he tell you? And he was like, no, he didn't tell me. I was like, I'm not going to tell you. He didn't tell you. I'm not going to tell you. And he asked me literally for about three or four minutes. And I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. And then he said, you know what? He sat and thought for a minute and he said, you know what? I'm actually glad you didn't tell me because now I know I can trust you with a secret. He said, said, I've looked at how you responded and I've drawn the conclusion that now I can trust you. The Christian who is struggling with their gift needs to look at Jesus and what he did, see how he responded to our mess and our sin and say, that's the one that I can trust with my life's assignment. That's the one that I can trust to establish my step. That's the one I can trust to be in control of my life because I can't control my life. As Christians, we look at Jesus and we say, there's no one else who's worthy of being in control. Even if I believe I want a different gift from the one that I have, I know the one that chose this gift. I know him. I know he has my good in mind. I know he's looking out for me. I know he loves me. I know that all things work together for my good because he is in control. I trust him. I may not like it. I may not understand it. I'm going to trust that it's a gift and that it's good for me, and I'm going to leverage it and use it for his purposes. That is how we as Christians respond when we struggle with the gift that we have. We look to him. We look to the cross of Jesus Christ, and we say, he's trustworthy. He's more trustworthy with my life than I am. He makes better decisions for my life than I do. I've made mistakes as I've looked to govern my life. He has never made a mistake. He's never failed me. I know he'll never abandon me, and I know that he is for my good. So we trust him. And if we're single, and if he says singleness is a gift, we trust him that it's a gift right now that is for us that he intends to use for his purposes. 
And if we're married and our marriage isn't what we thought it would be, and it's more challenging than we thought it was going to be, and we're experiencing disappointment in our marriage, we remember that God is in control, that he is good, that he is always looking out for my good, that he has always ordered my steps, and that I can trust him. I want to take a brief moment to pray for us that we would just grow in trusting God. That we would just grow in believing him that when he gives us a gift that it is actually for our good. Father, thank you for being good to us. Father, as I said earlier, it's complicated when, when we want certain gifts and we, and we desire certain gifts, and we pray for certain gifts over and over and over again, and, and you withhold them from us, Father. It's, it's difficult to believe that you are withholding them for our good. Father, it's difficult at times to believe that the thing that we so strongly desire is not what you have for us right now. Would you help us to never lose faith in you? Would you help us to never lose trust in you that you are for our good and that you do give us what we need to have when we need to have it, God, because you are in control. You help us to remember that you are trustworthy. That we can trust you with our lives more than we trust ourselves. Father, as we take communion in just a few moments, as we do this in remembrance of your son that you sent that died for us, as we take the, the bread that was broken and, and, and the juice that, that represents his blood and the bread that represents his, his body that was broken, would you help us to see this as the proof that you are trustworthy? Would you help us to, to be reminded that as we see you dying on the cross in our place, would you make that a reminder in our hearts and in our souls and burned into us forever, Father, that you are trustworthy? that you are for our good, that you are always looking out for us, that you are always with us. Will you help us to remember these things? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.